of Bears, The Bar and Beyond. And in this week's episode, we are meeting with Katie Casper. Katie, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Katie, you you actually started out your college career at Fordham in New York. Could you, could you tell us what drew you there? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in a small town, Fredericksburg, Texas, and um, my mother is from Connecticut. And so I always kind of had this draw to the East Coast. She loved it up there as a child. And um, I had been as a kid, but I just really wanted to go away to college. I didn't, a lot of my friends were going to, you know, UT, A&M, and I just, I wanted to get away. <laughs> yes, <laughs> if that sounds horrible, but I just small town. I wanted to go to a big city. And so, um, well, you certainly did that. I did. I did. <laughs> so I ended up in New York city. Um, but it's a Jesuit school. Um, I'm Catholic. And so I, there was also definitely that tie to it for mm-hmm. me. Um, but I just, I loved it. It was a great experience, great time in my life, really exposed me to a lot of different people and cultures. And, um, it was, I always say it was so much fun for that age and that time period in my life. But when I was ready to leave when it was over, so yeah. what, what did you major in? <laughs> um, uh, communications and, um, I had a concentration in journalism. So do, do you think they were good? Um, good preparations. Yeah, I abs- I do, especially now that I'm back here um, at the law school and doing some writing. Um, I'm kind of going back to those skills that I hadn't used in quite a <laughs> while. Uh, but you know, really for New York, that was the best place to do it. Um, you know, I, I interned with ABC and. Um, and that really was when the internet was taking off, um, yeah. at news outlets. And so, um, I realized I did not want to go that direction because everything was so quick and fast paced. And I really appreciated more, um, you know, the journalistic, the journalism side of it where you were taking time to develop a story. And, yeah. um, so, yeah. At what point did you, uh, did you decide that you actually wanted to go to law school? You know, I always wanted to go to law school, but I didn't really have a good reason. I mean, I just, everybody said, oh, you'll be a good lawyer probably because I was, you know, into, you know, debate and things like that. And, um, did you like to argue? I did. And my mom <laughs> said when I was two, I would just look her straight in the face and argue with her. And unfortunately my daughter's the same way. I mean, I wouldn't say unfortunately, but, um, my daughter definitely has those skills as well. But, you know, when it came closer to graduation, I really thought, I don't want to be in school another three years. I just want to get out and work. Um, but I did have some, you know, different internships in, in New York and realized that I didn't, none of those fit what I wanted to do. And so maybe the best thing was to go to law school. Um, and so that's when I started preparing, taking the LSAT um, and kind of looking at where I wanted to go. So you feel like that time was really helpful in terms of getting you ready and getting you exposed to adult professional life? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I had an internship with an advertising company. I had an internship with ABC um, News One, which handles all their news outlets. Um, and I wasn't passionate about any of it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was it just felt like a job and it was like, okay, um, you know, I did that, but... 
I, I didn't see myself doing any of that long term. So I'm very thankful that I had that experience. So after being in New York City and after pursuing a few jobs that maybe you enjoyed, but you really weren't that passionate about, um, was there a was there a draw to come back to Texas specifically or? Yes. So I missed my family. Um, I have the only family I have up there. I have um, a great uncle who's like my grandfather who lives in Connecticut. So I got to see him and he really, um, that was just great having him there. But I missed um, just getting to do family, you know, just family events and things like that. It, I had to hop on a plane to see everybody. Yeah. And um, so I definitely wanted to come back to Texas Um I just didn't know where, um, and I graduated early, a semester early. So um, when I, I obviously I knew Baylor was a great school, but they were also on the quarter system, so yeah. I could graduate in December and start in February, um, which just worked out perfectly. So. So what what made you choose Baylor? Well, I so apart from <laughs> on, the, the yeah. convenience of the quarters, right? Yeah. Well, um, the they had a really the highest bar pass rate, um, mm. and so that was seems because you hear about the bar exam and how hard that is, and so and you um, want to pass it, yeah, and you want to pass it, so um, that definitely drew me in. But also um, just location, I had been to Waco before, um, I think as a kid in middle school there. Um, I did like a UIL meet here, I think. <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember that long ago. Um, and I just remember how beautiful the campus was. And I didn't have that campus experience in New York City. I mean, my school and Fordham dorm, is right in the middle of Yeah, Lincoln Center. Yeah. yeah. And so um, it was nice to kind of, I knew Baylor had that type of environment. So that, that also drew me here. Did you have a really clear sense of what you wanted the, the practice area that you wanted to work in when I you did. came to law school? I did. I, I knew that I wanted to do family law. Um, I had worked with some children at um, in New York um, at kind of a low-income daycare uh, place, and so I had volunteered there, and it really was an eye-opening experience to me, and, you know, I had a great upbringing where I felt like, hey, everybody's got a shot, and everybody deserves a chance, and then I did that, and I realized we do not all start off on equal footing, and... Um, you know, so I really, I wanted to ultimately work with kids. I just didn't know how to get to that point. Mm-hmm. So I figured family law would be the best direction to go with that. So did you spend some summers during law school working in that, in that area? Well, I interned with Judge Coley here um, in Waco and he at that time um, was in charge of the CPS docket. And so um, through that experience, I was able to see kind of how the CPS courts work and the different roles the attorneys played. Could I take you back and just for our listeners benefit, could you explain what you mean by a CPS docket? Because sure. some of us, some of our listeners will be current high school students looking at Baylor and others will be. I'm familiar with that and, and kind of processing. Yeah, it. absolutely. So um, CPS stands for Child Protective Services. I think now they have they go by Department of Family and Protective Services, but everybody generally refers to it as CPS. Um, and so there there are different levels of CPS involvement, but the ones where attorneys get involved are when. Um, Uh, CPS comes in and decides that there are safety concerns in the home that um, are of such an extent that the children are in danger and say they file a legal suit to remove the children from the parents. And then the parents are given um, a service plan and usually they get about a year, sometimes 18 months to work those services um, to try and regain custody of their children. And so the parents have attorneys in that um, CPS has an attorney and then the children have an attorney as well. And so you would generally act for the for the child? Right. Okay. Towards the end of my practice, the last four to five years, I was almost primarily the attorney for the children. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's got to be 
very taxing it emotionally. Is. It is. I mean, yeah. it is, but you feel, you feel good about what you're doing generally. Um, you feel that, um, it's very important. I mean, these are children who are just taken from their parents and, and I'm not, a lot of times it's for good reason. Yeah. Um, but they're still their parents and there's an emotional. Absolutely. And I yeah. think of my kids, if someone took my four year old or she's five now, but if took her from me and placed her in another home, I mean, can you imagine that the, the trauma that in and of itself is traumatic? Yeah. Um, not to mention other things they may have experienced in the home with their parents. Um, and so they need a voice, um, when this happens. So, so you, you definitely, it sounds like you had a pretty clear interest from the get go. Uh, when you actually started your practice, you, so you actually went out on your own? Well, I, yes and no. So I, what I did was, um, I knew I was staying in Waco at that time. Um, we were in a horrible recession. There were no jobs anywhere, but I knew of, um, two attorneys that did family law and some criminal defense. Um, and so I had seen them in court when I had interned, um, and just was really impressed by, by them and thought, hey, I want to learn from them. And so at that point, they were both working with a bigger firm and they said, um, well, come work for us, um, not kind of as an independent contractor and mm-hmm. we'll pay you for the work we do, but you can learn from us. And so um, for the first year, I shadowed them and worked on their cases, helped prep their cases. And that was just absolutely invaluable. Um, that was an amazing experience. And then they actually left that firm and the three of us started our own each started our own firm, but in the same office gotcha. and we office shared assistance and things like that. So it was a really great setup. So tell us a little bit about your family law practice. Cause off mic, we were talking about how you actually started in what we think of as probably more traditional Correct. family law. So divorces. Correct. So the first, um, three to, I say three to five, I don't know. I'm trying to think back. Probably the first five years, what I primarily did was, um, divorces, custody agreements, um, uh, enforcements. If somebody's not following a court order, uh, child support issues, adoptions, um, things of that nature. So definitely more, you know, I'm, I'm come in, I want to get a divorce or I want to separate. Um, you know, what are the steps? Those are the things I helped walk people through. And was that fairly office bound or did you find yourself in, in court? No, I was definitely in court, um, a lot. Um, but it wasn't, I was not in court as much as I was with the CPS work. Okay. So if you are interested in being in a courtroom, it sounds like family. Absolutely. I mean, it's a good way to do that. Absolutely. Because especially with a divorce, one party, if, even if it's all amicable and everything's agreed, one party actually has to go to court to prove up the divorce. Mm -hmm. So, um, adoptions have to be proved up in court. Um, most everything has to be, the final orders have to be proved up in court. So some, a lot of things you can do by agreement and it's just a quick, your honor, here's the order. Your client testifies, they agree to it. Um, things of that nature, but a lot of it is in court for sure. Yeah. Probably dating myself here, but, uh, (laughs) You know, I grew up with things like The Guardian with Simon Baker mm-hmm. and uh, Alan McBeal. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us a little bit about how family law and actual practice differs from representations that we might have seen in the media. Well, I think that with family law, it's always evolving. <laughs> I mean, you come in and they have an issue that, okay, you know, say it's a divorce, they no longer want to be together. Um, so we, we come up with a plan that, you know, sh- mom's going to stay in the house, dad's going to get an apartment and then, you know, they're going to 
share the kids, custody of the kids, and that's all worked out. Well, that can go from that to somebody's hiding money to, I mean, it just, it's, it's ever evolving sometimes. I'd like to say that they all are that simple, um, or there's just one issue. But I think with, with family law, it's, it's constantly evolving within that case. What may, you may come in and think is an easy case. Um, and they say they're agreeing. The reality is they're not agreeing to much, um, or the ones that you think are going to just be, you know, a nightmare, they end up working out, working themselves out. So, um, it's just ever evolving. You don't always know what the issue is going to be, um, from the get go. So it's just, so one of the things that strikes me about this work is that it sounds like you are obviously a lawyer, Mm-hmm. but you're also serving in the role of kind of a pseudo counselor a lot of the time. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Cause I, I remember when I, I mean, I got married right after I graduated from law school and you know, I have people who've been married for, you know, 20, 30 years in my office and I feel like I'm giving them marriage advice or, you know, and I'm like, I've been married six months. I have no idea <laughs> what I'm what saying, but, <laughs> um, but you are, I mean, and that's, and I think that's where you have to be careful to draw a line. You certainly, you know, we're, we are counselors at law. I mean, that is definitely a part of our job. Mm -hmm. Um, but you need to be realistic with your clients and with their expectations and the things that you can control and the things that you can't control. I mean, a court order, um, there are certain things that a court can order and there are things that a court cannot order. Um, and so you need to make sure that you are being realistic with your clients about their expectations. And I think too, when we, when we look at doctors, they have to have a a degree of separation so Mm -hmm. they can look at a situation and give objective advice Mm -hmm. and i'm sure that that's the same challenge that you face you obviously care about your client Mm -hmm. they may be in a a situation where they're incredibly vulnerable Mm -hmm. but you've got to maintain absolutely healthy difference absolutely and i think that they'll respect you more than i mean they don't need a a yes man you know they need someone really to realistically you know, lay it out on the line that this is what you're looking at. This is your worst day in court. This is probably your best day in court. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they know what they're up against. Um, cause that's your job. I mean, you need to be realistic with them. Um, and you have to be tough with them sometimes. And, and sometimes you have to tell them what you think is important really is not that important in the eyes of the court. Yeah. Sometimes you have to tell them what they don't necessarily want to hear. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and in some ways, I guess that's one of the things we don't think about uh, uh, when we think about being a lawyer is mm-hmm. having those difficult, really difficult conversations mm-hmm. where the, your client might not actually get the outcome they want. Because when we see it in the movies and, and television, we generally see you mm-hmm. know, the resolution in a positive way. We've talked in the past about timesheets and time mm-hmm. recording mm-hmm. and how that's a, a big part of a lawyer's daily Mm -hmm. uh, work is kind of making sure that they're billing a certain amount Mm -hmm. of their day to clients so that the firm Mm -hmm. makes money and they get paid. When you are a lawyer and a counsellor in the context of family Mm -hmm. law, how do you balance those two things? The billing? Yeah. Well, I mean, that is your time that you are working on their case, even if it is more of an emotional support. I mean, that is time away that you're taking from other clients. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that certainly... Um, is your time and your time is valuable. And so I think that that, that counts the same, you know, unless they're your best friend and y'all are, (laughs) (laughs) you know, together at the movies on the weekend. I mean, and I think that that's something that's hard when you come out of law school. Um, and you look at the hourly rate sometimes that you're billing, it seems like a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but don't ever apologize for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, like we said, students time, time is literally money. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you do go through legal proceedings, <laughs> think carefully about how you have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about what you really enjoyed and perhaps what you found really frustrating. Okay. Well, I think the enjoyable part is you really are helping people get through one of the most difficult times in their life. I mean, they, um, and I think that's what's different with family law versus, you know, probate, things of that nature. And I'm not saying there aren't aspects of that in other areas of law, but um, people usually aren't coming to you and excited that they're getting a divorce or excited that they're in the middle of a custody, you know, dispute. Um, And so if you can, they can walk out of the end of that and feel a relief and feel like, okay, we have a workable solution um, and they understand it. And, And that's one thing too, is a lot of people come in and they just don't really understand what the orders say, you know, if they have an agreement, they, they don't necessarily understand it. It's, I mean, and they can be confusing. And so I think if you, you can empower them to feel okay about their situation and they have workable guidelines and rules and they know what to follow and what to expect, um, that certainly is rewarding. Mm -hmm. And what was perhaps one of the more frustrating aspects? Um, you know, sometimes you know, judges are people and they make bad decisions too. They're just people, you know, (laughs) I think they, you know, and so sometimes you can feel really strongly about your client's position and you still lose. And that's just the way it is. But unfortunately in family law, it's typically, you know, uh, mom got custody when you really think dad should have, or, um, uh, you know, the divorce proceeds that were split, you didn't think was particularly equitable. Mm. So, um, but, but that's the way it is. And I think with family law, it's, it's, there are no bright lines, you know? And so that's yeah. why I encourage mediation a lot in family law, um, because we can really be creative and come up with a solution that both parties can agree to, um, that may be more creative and flexible than what the judge would order. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that you were essentially your own, your own boss, mm-hmm. which brings with it, it's, it's own uh, challenges. Absolutely. Can you talk us through, I guess, some of the pros and cons of, of running your own firm? Okay. Well, when we first started, um, I, I started with the other two, we had, we were used to being in a big firm. And mm-hmm. so we went with all the same resources that we had before, um, paralegals, assistants, um, you know, uh, research services, um, fancy computer programs, yeah. things of that nature. Um, and over the years we started scaling it back. It was, our overhead was very high and we realized we didn't really need a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so by the end, when I was just doing the CPS work, I, um, it was just me and I had a great computer system. Um, and, but that was just a very different type of work. Um, and so it worked that way. If I had had a family law practice and like I did initially, I would have needed more help. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think just trying to figure out what your needs are within your office and what works best. How many hours do you think you would have worked roughly a week? Um, that's hard to say. I would say probably 50 to 60. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure I worked, if you had a trial coming up, it probably oh, it'd be fluctuates. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I worked just, you know, Monday through Friday, but then also a lot of Sundays I would go out and do home visits with mm-hmm. my, um, clients. And then I was always on the phone in the evenings. I mean, yeah. you know, and checking email and, um, you know, a lot of times I would designate Tuesdays and Thursdays to work late and go see, see clients. Um, so w- it, was that a challenge managing 
having demands on your time outside of oh yeah regular regular oh, yeah. hours. Yeah. I, I mean, and it 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 wasn't as so bad until I had my second child. I think with um, the my, and my husband has a very demanding job too. He's a mm. CPA and he um has, works lots of hours. Yeah, <laughs> or he has he has his seasons though. The you know the rest of the year he can be super flexible, um, but it was and I think when my daughter got older and she can say, mom, get off the phone or mom, what are you doing? Or, you know, and, and was really vying for my attention. Um, it definitely, definitely was hard. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that's an unavoidable part of the Mm -hmm. law is, is just the hours. But again, like we were saying off mic, there's a lot of professions that require you to work Mm -hmm. long hours, certainly doctors, Mm -hmm. accountants. And, And I think too, just knowing that going in and knowing like I may have to, you know, really, grind it out for six years and yeah. then I can look at something that's a little less, um, demanding. And, and that's really kind of what was nice when I did move into primarily doing the CPS stuff, I could work from home a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, um, there that helped. Um, and I was more in charge of my schedule and could be flexible, but ultimately I had so many cases that it just, you never caught up. Yeah. And when (laughs) one finishes, there's three other waiting. Exactly. Exactly. And so I did make some changes, um, but ultimately um, I did decide, you know, this time in my life, I needed to make a different career change so I could just be there for my kids and be a better mom and wife. So what, uh, what would you say to some undergraduates who are perhaps Mm -hmm. thinking about family law? What are, what are some things that they should perhaps think through as they, begin to decide whether this is an area of law that they might be interested in? Well, it's definitely not for the faint of heart. I mean, you're going to deal with people at their, what they feel like is their, the worst moment in their life. Um, they're going to be in crisis mode. Um, they, I mean, you need to be able to handle people's emotions and be compassionate and empathetic. Um, but also not fall into their story as either. I mean, yeah. a lot of, times i mean there are you know two sides to every story and you can't believe everything your client says i mean their perception may be very different from the truth and so i think you just have to go in um being compassionate but at the same time you have a job to do and it's to tell your client um you know the best way to proceed and and so you just you know you you have to have the the um personality to deal with that and be upfront with people and i'm sure your approach and your experience would have been very different had you gone straight from college to law school and started practicing family law and you hadn't had that chance to kind of be around other people who aren't the same age as you and kind of get that exposure Mm -hmm. before you jump into oh yeah those really intense Mm -hmm. situations absolutely absolutely and i think um you know (laughs) people always laugh and say you know when you do criminal law, you're dealing with good people in a bad moment. Yeah. Um, and when you're doing family law, you, <laughs> you really see people at their worst. I mean, you see them do things to their children, to their spouses, um, to in-laws um, that are, are not good things, you know, because they're so caught up in, in this The emotion. Yeah. yeah. And so you really do see people at their worst sometimes. And so it's, it's hard to stomach sometimes people using their children as pawns and, yeah. you know, I mean, now this day and age, you know, and with discovery, you get text messages and what they say they said is not very 
really what they said in their text message. (laughs) You know, and so sometimes you have to, you have to train people. Okay. This is how you need to be an adult in this situation. And this is how you should respond to this. So you get a, you get a chance to step in and kind of be a moral compass. Yes, definitely. In in some pretty intense situations Mm -hmm. where maybe that compass isn't working. Right. Right. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned before that you also did some criminal law Mm -hmm. uh, work. There's a lot of practitioners who do family and criminal work. Can you, can you, I guess, tell us a little bit about why you think there's that natural partnership and also what it's like? Well, I think um, with family and criminal law, you are dealing with people every day. I mean, people are coming into your office and meeting with you. And so I think if you have the personality for one, you probably have the personality for the other. Yeah. Um, but also just naturally, you know, family and criminal... You know, most people who deal with a lawyer, just the average Joe, it's going to be because of a family law problem or a criminal problem. Yeah. And so there's just a lot of overlap where you say you're not going to do criminal, but then you have a family law client who gets a DWI and asks you to handle it for them. Uh Or you're handling a, you know, a criminal client who has a DWI and then they need a divorce. And so there's just a lot of overlap and they don't have those people, you know, aren't, they're not corporate people necessarily that know a lot of lawyers and so they just keep going back to the people that they know yeah so it kind of naturally builds itself when you when you look back on your career um, from Fordham all the way through to law school are there, are there some things that you wish you'd maybe done differently yeah I wish um, I think it's good to keep perspective and, and keep continuing to do different things or have your hands in different things um, I never intended to end up just doing the CPS ad litem work. And when I say that, that that's attorney ad litem where you're the attorney for the child. Um, it just naturally progressed that way. My caseload got big. And so slowly, first I dropped the other family law cases and then I dropped the criminal cases. Um, and so then I was just doing that every day in that court with the same people, same, um, same clientele. And so it just, it got to be a lot. And I think had I said, okay, no, I'm only going to take, you know, X number of cases in this area and, you know, X number of cases in, you know, criminal or family law, um, you get to see different people, you get to see different problems. Um, you're not just so immersed in one world and that kind of can become a lot. Well, I think there's some wisdom in learning when to say no. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And I know with a lot of our pre-law students at all, working extremely hard they're mm-hmm. trying to be high achievers build a resume and and sometimes there's this tendency to take on way too much absolutely and so you're saying even from your own experience even as a lawyer it was mm-hmm. important yes definitely yeah. and just you know another thing my husband and I made a very calculated decision to stay in Waco because his job is demanding and my we knew my job was going to be demanding as well um, but I will say that this type of city um, an environment is better suited for family life. You mm-hmm. know, had we gone to a big city, um, you know, at a big firm, you know, our lifestyle probably would have been very different. Yeah. Big law pays big money, mm-hmm. but there's, there's a cost to that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I know there's obviously very limited details that you can share with us about specific uh, cases, but mm-hmm. is there a case that comes to mind that was pref- uh, particularly rewarding mm-hmm. to be part of? Yes, absolutely. Um, and this is one where I think everybody, all the parties included, just really worked together to come up with a great solution. I had a client who um, 
she had been, her parents' rights had been terminated when she was younger. I'm going to say five or six. Mm -hmm. And she was adopted by another family that ended up being a failed adoption. And she ended up back in CPS care. Mm. Um, And she was to a point where she was a few years from aging out of care. And um, we just didn't really have any good options for her here in Texas. Um, And we found her birth mother who um, was doing great, successful life now, had really turned her life around, um, and she was living in another state. And we um, were ultimately able to place her um, with her birth mother in that other state, whose rights had been terminated years ago. Um, but there were there were a lot of hoops we had to jump through because mm-hmm. it was out of state. She had previously been terminated. Um, we couldn't do like a, a formal where she could adopt her daughter back. Um, but you know, CPS, um, and myself and some other parties, she had a CASA as well. We were really able to work together and, um, now she's there where she has a family and she has a support system. And, um, that was really important because as she grew, the state of Texas wasn't going to continue to, to help her out or support her, but her family there will. So, so as part of that case, did you kind of come up with some of these solutions did you try and it was was part of your job to try and find the mother and yeah well the mother actually um we knew that she had had contact with um another sibling and mm-hmm. so um that person gave me some contact information I was able to get in touch with her and um we just kept work yeah I worked with her I worked with CPS and um CPS went up there and looked at her home and Um, but we just kept pushing for it. And, you know, and and also my client had some professionals like, um, a a counselor involved that was really supportive of this decision. And so, um, really just kind of talking to a lot of people and banging down doors and, um, not letting it go because we didn't have a good solution here. I mean, it was not, we did, we had no solution. You're you're making the best of a otherwise bad situation. Yeah. I guess our last question is, uh, what advice would you have for some people who are thinking about law school and a legal career generally? Um, it's, it's a big time commitment. It's a big financial commitment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think you need to, to weigh those options um, and really look at do you want a law degree just to say you're a lawyer? I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's um, a lot of work just for social status. Right. And, right. and money. And money. Yeah. And money too. And, um, and some of the jobs that are fun and passionate don't make as much money as some of the other ones, you know? And yeah. so I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of wonderful things about being a lawyer. Um, but you need to know that um, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, can be a very stressful job. Um, a lot of expectations. And if you screw up, sometimes it, it's, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. And so, um, you know, think long and hard about what, what career path that, what that looks like for you. Um, or if maybe you want to go out and just work a few years in a different career. And if you still feel like you want to go to law school, then at that time, make that decision. But, um, yeah. So. Yeah, Katie. Just before we close, so you're now working over at the the Baylor Law School. Yes. Um, could you tell us a little bit about what you're doing? Sure. So I am the director of, of alumni relations, and so um, we kind of say it at the law school here that we're a different breed, Baylor Law. Um, we 
<laughs> everybody goes through a very rigorous practice court. And so um, we really are a community when we get out. And so my job here is to work with our alumni, um, just keeping them involved with the law school, whether that's through volunteering to help with our advocacy exercises um, or mentoring students, um, as well as um, just reaching out with different alumni in different cities and seeing how we can serve them, whether that's by programming and CLEs or um, just doing receptions so we can all get together. Um, but I think Baylor lawyers really believe in, in the value of the education that they have here at Baylor Law. And so um, we just want to continue to serve them and work with them out in the practice field. Wonderful. Katie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, and we're glad that you could join us on Bears the Bar and Beyond.